0: Hey everyone, this is Matt with your last Overflow podcast of 2023, and we are still in our Christmas fun series, even though Christmas has passed just a few days ago, and I hope you had a wonderful Christmas, but now we're right at the end of the year and you look back on the year. How was it? Was it hard? Was it fun? Are you nervous about what's to come? Are you at peace after a crazy busy Christmas season? I rarely meet people who are totally at peace. I mean, peace with themselves, at peace with the world, at peace with God, who are literally walking in peace. It's so rare. And yet it's one of the reasons we celebrate Christmas just a few days ago, because Jesus came as the Prince of Peace to bring peace to the world. About 700 years before the very first Christmas, that'd be 2700 years ago, Isaiah, who was A prophet predicted the savior of the world was going to come and that he would be called the prince of peace. Isaiah 9, 6 says, a child has been born for us and God has given us a son and he will be called the prince of peace. And he's talking about Jesus. And at the very first Christmas, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, what did they say in Luke 2? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. So Isaiah announced peace, and the angels announced peace, and when Jesus gets his own ministry, it's about peace on earth. In fact, before he goes back to heaven, he says this in John 14, 27, I am giving you the gift of peace, the kind of peace that only I can give. Now, you can't get it in a bottle, you can't get it in a pill, you can't get it in an experience or in a book. The kind of peace that Jesus gives, only he can give it. It isn't like any other peace in the world which that kind of peace is phony or fragile, doesn't last. I mean, think about how many peace treaties last throughout history. None. I mean, this Christmas, I hope you celebrated the coming of the Prince of Peace. And as we end this year, before we start a new one with all of its difficulties and challenges, I want us to talk about what is peace really about? What kind of peace does Jesus give us? Because I think we need peace more than ever in this world. First, I want to say, I don't know what your background is. You may have had a very good year. You could have had a tough year. And as we come to the end of 2023, some of you are undoubtedly pretty tired. You're fatigued. You're worn out. You had a tough year. It was stressful. God doesn't intend for you to go into the next year full of stress, full of worry and anxiety. But instead, he wants you to be full of peace and serenity and tranquility. There are three kinds of peace in the Bible. There's spiritual peace, emotional and relational, spiritual, emotional and relational peace. So there's external peace that's with God. There's internal peace that's with yourself and there's external with other people that's in relationships. So let's look at these first three kinds that these kinds of peace that Jesus came to give us. Number one is peace with God. Now that's spiritual peace. That's the most important because it kind of affects everything else. You know, when you're in a relationship and it's out of whack, you have tensions in the home, whether it's your husband or wife, boyfriend, or girlfriend, nothing seems to matter. No matter what goes well, if you have a strain or conflict in a relationship, it just robs you of peace. Nothing does that more than being out of whack with God. The Bible says the first thing Jesus came to do is restore peace between us and God. 2 Corinthians 5 says God sent Christ to make peace between himself and us. Now, why do we need this? Well, because anytime I go my own way, I say, I think I know better than God. I know what what God says to do, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to make up my own rules. I'm going to pretend to be God. I'm going to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to be the master. I'm not going to do what the Bible says. And when I try to pretend that I am God, I disobey him. I fight God. I ignore God. And that's an act of rebellion. It's an act of revolt. It really puts me in conflict with God. And the Bible says there's no peace there. I get disconnected. That's why God feels a million miles away. God doesn't want you to live disconnected from him. He made you to be connected to him. So here's what the Bible says in Romans 5. Since we are made right with God by faith in Christ, we have peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us. Peace with God doesn't come from what you do. Peace with God comes from what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So you can't be a nice person to get peace with God. And that's what Christmas is all about. Romans 5 continues. Even though we were his enemies, God made peace with us because his son Died for our sins. Now that we're peace with God, we'll be saved for eternity by his son's life. A lot of religions out there have what's called a peace offering, right? Going back to the Greeks and the Romans, even Native American religions, they would offer peace offerings to God. And the Bible says you don't need to do that because Jesus already did it. Jesus died for us on the cross. Romans 5:8 in the New Living Translation it says Jesus sacrificed for our sins once and for all when he offered himself on the cross. So you don't have to offer any peace offerings to God, you just accept what Jesus did. You ask God for forgiveness for what you've done wrong and trust that Jesus is enough to pay for your sins and he restores your relationship with God. He gave himself to pay for all of our sins. That's the first kind of peace, peace with God. So do you have that kind of peace? You can't move on to the other two types of peace without settling that one first. So as this year closes, ask yourself that question. Do I have peace with God? If so, great. Thank him for the gifts he's given you. But if you're not, or if you don't, what is causing you not to? What is keeping you from asking God to be a part of your life? Asking for forgiveness. It's the foundational peace that we need. The second kind of peace is peace within. That's emotional peace. When I have peace with God and I get the peace of God inside me, that one makes me feel great. Colossians 3.15 says, "'Let the peace of God rule in your heart.'" Notice it's inside you, it's internal. The word for peace in the Bible is shalom. In the Old Testament, you've heard this word. You you might've heard some Jewish people speaking it, shalom. It means well-being, it means happiness. Harmony, serenity. It can mean a lot of different things. But whatever problem you have, God has a corresponding peace. For those with a broken heart, he gives us comforting peace. For those with a confused heart, he gives us guiding peace. For those with a shamed heart, he gives us forgiving peace. When we have a worried heart, he gives us confident peace. God has a peace for every problem. Whatever problem you got, a financial problem, there's financial peace problems in Scripture. You've got a physical problem? There's a physical peace promise in Scripture. God says, I don't want you to worry about anything. You have a bitterness problem? He says, I'll give you forgiveness. I'll forgive. I'll figure out a way to give you that. So there's peace within me. So there's peace with God, peace within, and then there's peace with others. This is relational peace. It's the fact that the further away we get from God, the more it messes up our relationships with everybody else. You want to strengthen your marriage? Get close to God. Because if you really get close to God, your spouse is going to go closer to God, which is going to pull you closer to each other. The more out of whack you are with God, the more out of whack you are with other people. The more cranky I get with you, then that's that's just the way God's wired us. The world is not getting more peaceful. The world is getting more conflicted. How come we're not unified? We talk about in America, we have some really old phrases. Now, nobody uses cash anymore. And and there's a problem with that because on money itself spoke about unity. You see the the phrase, if you go pick up some bills, a one, a five, and ten, and you can see many phrases about unity. E poribus unum, or out of the many, one. You'll see, in God we trust. United we stand, it's all over our currency. How in the world do we get that where there are so many different kinds of people? The problem is is that we are more divided than ever. We can't even talk to people with a different opinion than our own. If we disagree with anyone, they will stereotype you and give you a label, usually a bad one, that makes listening to you pointless. And it's scary to see where we are headed as a people i saw a video of a guy on a college group and he was being a little outlandish because he kept saying he was friends with a racist with a murderer and people around him were blasted for even talking to them and then he explained he said i plead with them constantly to confess their wrongs to change their ways i begged them to ask god for forgiveness and trust in jesus And he asked the people who were telling him to stay away from them, should I just ostracize them like you do? Or should I reach out to them and try to get them to change their ways? The people that were yelling at him didn't have a response and they walked away. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, Christ brought us all together through his death on the cross. The cross gets us to embrace each other and end the hostility between different groups. He says Jesus is the one, when we have the Prince of Peace in our lives, when we're Going to, they're, we're going to have peace with each other. You look around and you see all the cities that are aflame with injustice and crime, and racism and all kinds of things. But the Bible says in Galatians 3, 28, in Christ's family there is no division between Jew and Gentile, slave or free, or even male and female. In Christ we are all equal and the same. He is the great equalizer. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all in common relationship with Jesus. The problem is the world tries to tear us apart, but only Jesus can we have true peace and be united. Right now, the en vogue philosophy of the world that's being taught in the Western, I should say in the Western world. In the Eastern world, they laugh at us. In the Western world, it's about being woke, which everything gets boiled down to race and being marginalized and exploited wokeism is the omnipresent use of race and to a lesser extent gender to replace meritocracy and thus ensure equality of result that's kind of complicated so if you're not the majority race in the area you are exploited however this never never applies to what they would call white whites are always systematic oppressors Now this flies in the face of Christianity because in God's eyes, in Galatians 3.28, remember God made all of us. He said in Christ's family, there is no division between Jew and Gentile. Those are the people, remember the Jews were God's chosen people, but he's saying, it don't matter with Jesus, slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. In Christ, we're all equal and the same. All wokism does is tear people apart. It creates division and ultimately hurts people of all nationalities. Wokism wants to teach young children with the lie that they are innately guilty of rep- of oppression due to their skin color or that they are or that they are the result of exploitation because of their skin color. It is absolutely insanity to put that on children. You know, we are indeed guilty of many sins, and we are desperately in need of Jesus. And that should bring us together under God's love, not tear us apart. The world wants division. It wants to tear people apart while Jesus is trying to give us a peace that brings us together. So first, I have to have peace with God. Then I start to feel good about myself. And when I start to feel good about myself, I get peace within myself. And then I can have peace with you. Things that used to take me off and irritate me don't bother me so much anymore because I'm at peace with myself and it just doesn't matter. It's kind of like if you got a cup of coffee and if that coffee is filled right up to the brim, it only takes a little bit of shaking and it won't spill. It can take a little bit of shaking and it will spill. I'm sorry. If it's filled to the brim, it'll spill over. And when I'm filled with the slightest little shake, I can get irritated and angry. But when I empty that cup of coffee and I fill myself with Jesus' peace, nothing can upset me. The cup can go every which way, but if it's God's peace is inside instead of the coffee, you know, nothing upsets me. These three kinds of peace all start with the Prince of Peace, with Jesus. And how do you enjoy that peace that I talked about? Peace of God, peace with God, and peace with others, peace inside me. The Bible says we gotta do three things. Just three. First, you gotta experience a moment of clarity. Now, a moment of clarity is like a life-changing moment that transforms you forever. You are never the same again because all of a sudden you see things you've never seen before. All of a sudden you see God as he really is, not like you were brought up to believe he was. You might have brought up to believe that God is a terrible, you know, you you do something wrong and he will punish you. Well, the problem with that is that Jesus you know, removed, you know, by dying on a cross, all of our sins have been paid for if we confess to him. And that moment of clarity comes when we realize, ah, I'm not under sin anymore. I'm not under the punishment anymore. I am free. Jesus loved me so much and all my sins are gone. And all the things I do wrong in the future, yeah, I want to apologize. And yeah, I want to seek forgiveness. And yeah, I want to change because I don't want to do these things wrong because of how much he loved me. You see yourself as a terrible person, saved by grace, and you have a new relationship with God, and you see yourself as you really are, not how your parents taught you, not how the world sees you, but how does God see you? If you've asked him to forgive your sins, he sees you as his child, completely pure and blameless, and no matter how many bad things you do in the future, all of it was forgiven because Jesus died for your sins, past, present, and future, And and you experience that moment of clarity where you go, I get it. I get God. I get me. And you start to see other people as they really are. You see them as sinners that need help. Not as the awful, wrathful, ugly person that they are, but as someone who deeply flawed and needs Jesus. So when they come up to you and they're mean and they're insulting, you're like, you can rationally think, you know what, I was like them. How much pain did they go through in their life to be where they are? They don't have any peace. People who are angry are hurt people. People who are messed up are hurt. And so when we see people, we don't want to just attack them. We're like, we can understand them and we don't forgive them. I mean, we, don't, we just don't forgive them of their, what they've done. I mean, obviously, they, you know, there's still consequences, but we can understand what they're saying. And, we're, and we have that moment of clarity where we see who we are in front of God. We understand who people are, and we understand who God was. And in that very first Christmas, every one of those people had a moment of clarity. Joseph had a moment of clarity in his dream. He says, all of a sudden, he goes, okay, I get it. I understand what's going to happen. It makes sense. Sometimes people have a moment of clarity through a dream. Nothing wrong with that. Then the wise men had a moment of clarity in nature. They're looking at the stars. They're outside. You know, they see it. You can have a moment of clarity in the middle of a campground. You don't have to be in church. It doesn't have to be a worship service. David said, I didn't understand until I went into your temple. But a lot of people have a moment of clarity out in nature. It doesn't have to be in church. Wise men just looked at a star and go, bingo. Mary had a moment of clarity when she understood the word of God that was spoken to her. The shepherds had a moment of clarity where there was a miracle and they go, let's go check this out. Elizabeth had a moment of clarity through her friend Mary, who said, have you ever thought about it like this? What happens if Paul talks about in Ephesians 1, he says, I pray that your heart will be flooded with light so that you can see something in the future that God has called you to share. God knows everything about you. While well, we know almost nothing about Him. And what we need is a moment of clarity where all of a sudden you go, I get it. I start to see the starting point. For the first time in my life, I actually see it. And until that happens, you're not gonna have peace in your life because you don't understand how much God loves you, you don't understand who you are, and you just can't have peace without that moment of clarity. Now, by the way, the opposite, of a moment of clarity is denial. What are you pretending is not a problem in your life? And this I think is a little bit easier to understand. What are you pretending to not know about yourself? What are you pretending not to know about your marriage? What are you sweeping under the carpet? Denial is the opposite of a moment of clarity. When you have a moment of clarity, you stop blaming other people for your unhappiness. You're as happy as you choose to be. You can't blame your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter, or your mother, or your father, or your coworker, or your boss, or your history, your experiences, your bad job, whatever, your accident, your health. When you have a moment of clarity, you stop blaming other peer, people and you start to look in the mirror and say, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Just like Taylor. <laughs> I responding to all these things. She said it like this in Luke 11. Make sure that the light you think you have is not really darkness. Now, what does he mean by that? He's saying, well, we have this amazing ability to deceive ourselves. You lie to yourself more than you lie to anybody else, and you do it all the time. You tell yourself things are worse than they really are, and you tell yourself that things are better than they really are, and you tell yourself little lies all the time, like, it's no big deal, I got it under control. No, that's denial. Here's the problem, until you have that moment of clarity, you don't understand what it feels like to have real peace. You can have lived your entire life so long without peace that you think that your way of living is normal. You think that all the stress and anxiety and fear and the fatigue, the tension and the stress, it's just normal. That's the way everybody lives. No, they don't. There's peace with God and the peace of God that gives you peace with others. The good lie that we are taught is that looking good and feeling good and having the goods makes us happy and peaceful. People who have those things are not at peace. They're anxious. They're insecure. They're fearful. They're afraid that they will lose that. There's actually a better way to live than that. The root cause of all my stress is thinking that I know better than God does. That I know better, and if I would just do it my way, things would work out instead of doing it God's way. But The Bible says in Isaiah 48, 18, If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have flowed like a river. Wow. See, I know what God says to do, but I'm going to do it my way. So it starts with a moment of clarity. When I'm honest with God, and I'm honest with myself, and I'm honest with other people, and I'm no longer in denial. Second thing that we have to do, express an attitude of humility. God blesses humility, James 4, 6, God opposes the prideful, but gives grace to the humble. So here's the exchange. I exchange my vanity for his serenity. I humble myself and I get his peace. I exchange my anxiety for his tranquility. That's what happens. And one of the things I've learned is that God is not impressed with my whining. He doesn't move by my griping. He doesn't do things because I complain. Whining doesn't move God at all. What does touch his heart is humility. Humbly asking God, God, I need help. And when I say that, God just opens the floodgates of heaven and pours out his grace and mercy and peace. He says, I want you to come and express an attitude of humility. And you know, one of the ways we do that is just to admit that God is God and we're not. It's a great antidote for stress. When you get stressed out, repeat this three times, God is God and I'm not. Isaiah 26, 12 says, Lord grant peace for all we have, for all we have are has come from you. When was the last time you said that to God? Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever flat out had a moment of humility where you say, you know, everything I have is because of you. I wouldn't be taking my next breath if it wasn't for you. There wouldn't be blood coursing through my veins. My heart wouldn't be beating. The only reason you're sitting in the chair that I'm sitting in is because God made me to love you. If God had one to love you, you wouldn't exist. You're made by God and for God. That's why you're here. So, in humility, you come and you say to God, I admit, you hold me together, not me. Let me tell you something we're all messed up, we're all broken. You're broken, I'm broken. You're deeply loved, but you're also deeply flawed. And that's why we don't have peace. And that's why you walk around with stress. And that's why you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's why you can't solve your problems. And you get fearful and you hide your insecurities because you're broken. Sin has broken every one of us, but we're deeply loved. And we can come to God first in a moment of clarity and then in an attitude of humility. And if you're broken, your heart is broken or if you that's how you feel this year the lord is close to those whose hearts are breaking he rescues those who are humbly sorry for their sins the bible gives us a practical way to express our humility says in philippians 4 don't worry about anything instead pray about everything see you can pray or you can panic you can worship or you can worry you can have faith or you can have fear it's your choice God doesn't force you to pray, to worship, to have faith. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him. And if you do this, you will experience God's peace. God's peace, which is far greater than the human mind can understand. And God's peace will guard your hearts and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. So let's review. What do I do to get to the path of peace? You need a moment of clarity, an attitude of humility. And third, you need a decision of dis- dependency. In other words, you expect Jesus to help you. God does what we expect him to do in our lives. That's the faith factor. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He came to give peace on earth, goodwill towards men. He said, I'm going to give you the peace, not as the world gives, but as I give. So he sums up the peace in matthew eleven twenty-seven 27 to 29 he says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls that rest for your souls that peace it's something much deeper than physical rest it's soul rest it's inside rest your problem your stress is not from being overworked muscles In fact, we probably need to work our muscles more. Your problem is an overworked mind, overworked tension, overworked emotions, overworked spirit. You need rest not from physical labor. We need rest from anxiety, from tension, from guilt, from fear. And how in the world do I get that? Well, the world says escape, go on vacation, and you're worn out. Just go to Hawaii, go to Tahiti, go to the Caribbean. And when you go there, guess what you take with you? stress worry anxiety stress isn't in the office it's between your ears and you can't go there without your brain hence you bring stress and anxiety you're exhausted you're overloaded you say i let it go to a movie or exercise i have a hobby i got a favorite sport and those are all good things nothing wrong with them those are all good for physical restoration but it's not going to restore your spirit your soul that's much deeper Going to a movie isn't going to restore your soul. And when you're empty inside, here's what the culture says. You need to have more, you need to do more, you need to go more. But Jesus says no, exact opposite. Come to me and rest, come as you are. So the antidote to an overloaded soul is not a time management program. They're great, and don't get me wrong, but it's not gonna help your soul. It's not gonna give you peace. It's not a philosophy. It's not a pill. It's not a plan. It's a person. He says, come to me. So how do you come to Jesus? You do it every moment of every day. And you keep coming back and back and back. The more you are not at peace, go to go to God. And Jesus says it's not a one-time event. Connect with him. And that's where we take on his yoke from that Matthew passage. Now, yoke is like a piece of wood that you put between two cattle to pull a cart Behind them, that way they can share the load. That makes it easier. And if you don't yoke up a horse with a horse, with another horse, and that horse has to pull the load all by himself, no, no, no. Yoke is a symbol of partnership. So what's he saying here? God says, I don't intend for you to pull all your worries up, pull all your burdens, pull all your stress, pull all your responsibilities through life. That's why you're tired all the time. You're doing it all by yourself. You're getting tired. Because you weren't made to go through life without God sharing the load. Jesus says, I'll share it. Yoke up with me. Put on your yoke with me, and the two of us will pull the wagon. And by the way, God's got a stronger back than you or I do. He says, Join up with me, and I'll help you pull the load. And every time we get attached to Jesus and we connect with him, life gets way easier because we're usually not pulling the load 50 50. God's doing most of the work, he's stronger. And every time I we get disconnected from God, I get under stress. I'm pulling the whole thing by myself. We get tired and frustrated. The truth is you're gonna be yoked up to something in life. And I've discovered that the number one thing that people yoke up with is the expectations of others. A lot of what you do, you do because of what will other people think. My teenagers live that way right now. I guess all teenagers live that way. The number one thing you do, you do because of the way other people think. What will my husband think? What will my wife think? What will my boss think? My parents, my kids. What will my kids think? That's a load you're never intended to carry. Jesus says, take my yoke. It's an exchange. I exchange my heavy burden for his light burden. He says, put me in charge. And every time you just yoke up with me, peace is going to come. That's where the peace that passes understanding comes from. We yoke up with Jesus and he takes all of our worries upon him and he gives us peace, peace that we don't understand. So as you look back over this year, do you have peace? Or are you filled with stress and anxiety, worry, resentment, all of those things? We need to have that moment of clarity and stop denying our problems and start to see us in front of God's eyes. We need then to humbly come before God and ask Jesus to take all away our burden. And when that happens, peace takes over your life. And everything is so much easier. So as we close out this year, I want you to get the peace of God that passes understanding that dwells in his heart. That's what I want. So I don't know what kind of year you had. I don't know how terrible it was. But I want you to have peace. And all it takes is just to do those things to turn to Jesus. What better way to start off this year than to do that? And I hope you do. And God bless, and I'll see you in the next year. And we're going to start a new series, Shaping Your Future Self. And there's no better way to shape your future self than to start with peace. So let's work on that right now. And then next week, we're going to work on shaping our future self. God bless. Have a great new year.